88.3 WXOU-FM Auburn Hills, Michigan You're tuned in to The Friday Night Groove With your host Roosevelt Belton Jr. Better known as simply R-B-J for short And tonight I'm honored to have the opportunity To sit one-on-one With Kenny Fresh The founder and proprietor of the record label Fresh Legs out of Portland, Oregon. So listen in. I discuss the past, present, and future of the label, as well as premiere an exclusive track brought to me by Kenny Fresh himself. Peace. Thank you. Enjoy to kick off the program with the Fresh Legs release from Mirror Gazer titled Loaded Desire, the Temp K remix. Enjoy. And let's groove. WXOU, Auburn Hills, Michigan. You're tuned into the Friday Night Groove with your host, Roosevelt Belton Jr., better known as simply RBJ for short. And right now, I'm joined by the label head for Fresh Lex out of Portland, Oregon, Mr. Kenny Fresh. Kenny, how are you tonight? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. No problem. You know, I really listen to tight songs on X-Ray FM, so it's kind of crazy as it kind of kind of went full circle. Yeah, that's nice. Hell yeah. I love hearing that. Along with the label, you have experience with platforms like blogging and, you know, the radio show at one point. So as a music fan, what first got you interested in sharing music as a hobby and eventually as a career? Um, I mean, it's, it's always been something that just kind of came naturally for me. I've always been hyper focused and interested on music ever since I was a kid and then even in like middle school I was kind of the kid in our school that would get the latest CD first and this was when like CD burners were first coming out I would even you know it was when CD burners were still kind of a novelty so I would get the latest CD and then burn copies for friends and sell them for like a few bucks to make my money back and then buy the, you know, the next CD um, that was coming out. So, and then in high school that continued just by putting together uh, mixed CDs and handing them out to, I'd, I'd make a CD for a friend, give it to him. And the next thing I know, someone that I didn't even really know before, but I just, you know, had a few classes with, they would come up to me and tell me that they loved, you know, this CD. Like they would travel like that. I would burn it for one person, they'd burn it for another, and they would just kind of make it around the whole school like that. So yeah, it was always just, you know, a thing that I was into, a thing I was good at, and one of the few things that I was, you know, passionate about. Um, so really any, so any time uh, a platform would come along that would enable me to do that, like blogging, 
like when I got the offer to do the radio show, like when I realized I could start a label, I would just roll with it. you got your start in the music industry working with Wajid and Jackie O for their Bling 47 label. How influential was that time in teaching you to run an independent grassroots label? Oh, it was everything. Like that was, before that, I never, working in music and the quote unquote music industry was always just kind of a, a vague concept to me and something that seemed like it would be nice, you know, but I, I really had no idea how to do it, especially, you know, at the time I was 17 years old living in, you know, my mom's basement um, outside of Portland, Oregon. So, you know, it's very little music industry um, here. And, you know, I wasn't even 21 yet, so I wasn't even able to, like, go out to the bars or the clubs where, you know, there was actually some music scene I would later go on to find out. So at the time, I was just on message boards and, you know, OK Player was a big thing for me. And that's where I learned a lot about um, a lot of the music that is still my favorite to this day, like Jay Dilla and D'Angelo and Badu and that whole Soquarians era. And through that, I would just be talking about Wajid and at the time uh, Platinum Pied Piper's first album was rolling out and you know there'd be like leaks they would you know Benji B would premiere a song with Giles Peterson and we would all talk about it on there. Um, there was even a few times we were kind of getting to like little you know spats or uh, heated debates where people would be like ah tell me Lockhart can't sing or Wajid just sounds like Jay Dilla and I would always go off and like defend them. And I guess they were, I guess they saw that. Jackie Yo specifically later told me that she would like, you know, read those conversations and she always liked how I kind of, you know, had their back and, and, and the points I would make and how I dealt with um, the haters. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, and, and the way that came about was it wasn't even something I was trying for. It wasn't even something that I really considered or thought would be uh an option but they on you know they had their website blade47.com and they would have like weekly like little news updates and one of them uh wajid had done a, a mix cd for uh triple five soul but you can only get it at like select you know retailers and there wasn't any by me that had it but they were having a, a contest um it was like some trivia question and if you emailed them the answer they would you know send you a cd so i hit them up just trying to get a free cd and they recognized my name and they're like, oh, is this Kenny Fresh from, from OK Player? And I was like, yeah, it is. They're like, we've been meaning to get in touch with you, but you don't have your email listed anywhere. Like we're looking for someone to kind of be like our digital liaison, you know, slash intern, like, would you be down? And I was <laughs> super down. And the timing couldn't have been more perfect because I, I had literally just graduated high school. Like I think I, think I graduated in high school in may or june and then that happened in like june or july it was like and you know i graduated high school with straight c minuses and b pluses you know like i had no college um 
hope or really much interest. I knew I wanted to work in music, but I didn't know how. Um, so when that happened, I was like, okay, like this is how. And, uh, you know, slowly but surely just kind of learned the ropes. And they were very, you know, they're super, to this day, they're more DIY than even I am. Wajid, if he puts out a record, he's gonna, you know, screen, screen print the record sleeves himself. He's gonna do all the shipping himself. Like he's super like as hands-on as it can get. Um, so I learned a lot of just that work ethic and, and ownership and just infinite amount of things. Um, and it was cool because, you know, I, w I was still in Portland and they were in Brooklyn at the time. Um, so it was all just, you know, emails and, and, and phone calls for the most part. So it wasn't like super hands-on, like mentoring where they, you know, yeah, so this is how you do this. Like if I had questions, they would answer it. But for the most part, they just kind of left me to figure it out on my own. So that really helped me to kind of come up with my own solutions and my own little systems of, of doing things. And a lot of those I still, you know, use to this day. Um, so that was, I mean, yeah, I can't. I can't uh, exaggerate it en enough to, you know, how big that was for me. Um, so around 2013, you eventually transitioned Fresh Lex from a blog to a music label. When you finally got your chance to make that decision, what expectations do you have about running a label initially and how did those expectations change over time? Um, initially, I'm pretty small goal oriented like I'm not as great at the big picture master plan as a lot of you know entrepreneurs or small business owners are you know I always plan for like the next step and maybe the step after that but that's like it so so when I started so yeah I was with Blink 47 starting in 2005 by 2008 I had started my own you know brand my own website and I still worked closely with them I would you know through my blog YG would give me like songs to premiere and I would still like promote other stuff um then yeah so 2013 by then that was when Bandcamp had started to get a little bit more popular and I think they've been around for a year or two at the time um, and so a lot of the artists that I've come to know over the years and we worked closely with through the blog like Knowledge and Mind Design they were using Bandcamp um, heavily to, to great success and Mind Design specifically he was uh, selling cassettes his projects and he was doing it he would like go to goodwill and buy like a 12 cassette uh fitness you know little <laughs> program and then he would take those tapes and, and then dub you know his stuff over it he wasn't even buying blanks he was buying like pre-recorded stuff and he was like crossing out you know um the printed stuff on it and handwriting <laughs> you know design over it so he would literally have like 12 copies of a of an album and you know it'd sell out in like a minute.
was able to, to buy one or two of them, but there was a few that I missed out on. So I was just like, damn, like, man, I wonder like if we could, um, I don't know, I just started looking into what would be the price of, of manufacturing cassettes. And it was, it was pretty affordable. You know, I think it was like maybe at the time, like a thousand dollars for, or maybe like $800 for 300 cassettes or something like that. Um, I was like, huh, that's not bad. Like, I could do that. I mean, I was dead broke. I had no money, but I had that much room on a credit card. So I was like, okay, I could put that you know, on a credit card. Um, so literally my goal when starting the label, the first project was, uh, you know, I, I made 300 cassettes and I was like, if we could sell 300 of these in the first 30 days, then like this could, this could really be a thing, you know? And it worked out to being like pretty much exactly that. Like on the 30th day, we sold our last one. And it was just strictly, just strictly Bandcamp and on cassette. And then a friend who I'd known for years, she was working at um, a digital distributor, uh, Empire in, in the Bay. And she had always kind of appreciated what, what I did and we had similar music taste. So she offered me, she was like, yeah, are you putting these releases on? iTunes and Spotify and I was like no I don't even know how to do that you know and I was like is there even any money in that like was there I heard it doesn't pay that well you know just not knowing anything like 2013 Spotify was still pretty early and so yeah so she you know gave me a deal helped me get that stuff on there and then come to find out like you can make pretty good money on there too and so initially the the plan for the label was to kind of be like a, a reissue label where i was going to take releases that were originally um like free download or digital only things and put them on cassette and kind of give them um like a, a reissue treatment like maybe new artwork a few bonus tracks like even our first release was breatharian by my design and he had released it on bandcamp as a digital only like uh, a month or two before our version came out so ours had like i think two bonus tracks and uh you know more kind of fleshed out artwork and we made a music video and put it on cassette and you know all, did all that um so that was initially the plan and, and you know super simple and you know through the website i put out a bunch of digital releases so i was like i'll just take these and put them on cassette you know um but then it was low leaf who you know i had worked with her a few times through the site and we had a few mutual friends she was actually uh roommates with my design at the time so she saw how well his project was doing and she reached out to me and she was like hey i have an album that i'm about to finish up like do you want to put it out and i was like oh yeah, I guess I could just put out like original albums that like, like I just never even thought about the most simple, you know, parts of it. And people, at that point, like people literally had to come to me and be like, yeah, do you want to do this? I'd be like, yeah, like I do. Why didn't I think of that? Like, why didn't I, why wasn't I coming to Low Leaf asking her if I could do that, you know? Um, but I don't know, I think I just assumed that all that stuff costs money, you know? Like, how am I going to put it? I don't have any money. How am I going to like, put out a new album like it just seemed like i don't know just something that was beyond my means but she was coming to me like yeah it's already done <laughs> like you just need to you know just like help me out with you know we went over like the track list order and you know i gave her some feedback but other than that like she records at home and you know the rest was pretty much the same treatment as a reissue so
yeah so that you know that that changed the game even further for me um and then you know that, that pretty much became the new the new standard uh moving forward so i'm hearing from that is that initially things start out more organically than having you know set goals or we want to hit this by this day or this year yeah i mean yeah just very small goals if, if any and then someone would come to me with an even better idea and i'd be like oh yeah <laughs> let's do that as you went on have you had you found that that's changed or do you really just prefer to keep things organic it's definitely still organic more than anything but the part that has changed is i've kind of become more proactive in, in, in the plans and kind of had a bit more agency over what I want to do next and where I want to see this thing going. You know, at that point, it was more so operating from a place of like what I thought I could do, not what I necessarily wanted to do, but just like I could do this because it's easy or I could do that because it's already done. Now I've done enough where it's like, OK, what do I really if I could do anything, what what would I do? And then like then try to figure out, OK, well, how, how can we do that? I could be a tough sell. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a skeptic at heart. So I think even I kind of had to prove it to myself that I could do this. And now at this point, it's been seven going on eight years and, you know, ups and downs, but for the most, especially now things are like steady and really solid. And, and, you know, I've got a solid back catalog and, you know, so I, I'm kind of allowing myself the ability to be more ambitious and have slightly bigger goals. Yeah. Just getting a bit more uh, creative with it or, or trying to. everyone as I understand Kenny you have a new song coming out you're going to premiere it on this show so tell us more about it yeah you know I didn't want to um come to the show empty-handed you've always been very supportive of me so I wanted to give you something to world premiere on the show so uh, we have uh, a new EP from uh, the producer almost he's one half of the group the Stuyvesants we put out his debut solo album, uh, Sound Effects Volume 1. A few years back, we're going to be releasing Volume 2 later this year. But before that, we've got um, a remix EP of like blends of uh, acapellas that, you know, he put together. So this is going to be the second single from that. Um, this is called Say Something. And I got you, I gave you the, the blend, which is uh, Daniel Caesar and her. So that will only be available on Bandcamp and SoundCloud, on Spotify and everywhere else will be the instrumental. But first and foremost, it's going to be a Friday Night Groove world premiere. So this is almost Say Something. All right. I like the way that sounds, people. Check it out. We'll be right back. Oh, you're the best part. 
WXOU-FM, you're in the middle of my interview with Kenny Fresh. Right now, we're going to listen to the latest Fresh Lex release from Figmore, titled Rosie, Peace, Thank You, and Enjoy. Nothing that I love and do 
Figmore. Coming up now is another fresh selects release from Braxton Cook titled Somewhere in Between the Swarvy Remix. Enjoy, and we'll be right back to the interview shortly. Somewhere, 
2017, you transitioned tight songs from a radio show on X-Ray FM into a weekly playlist on Spotify. Um, over the years, you know, you hear different takes from artists about streaming payouts, how algorithms work, but this is something I noticed that you've made work for you and your label and your artists. Um, being someone who's so familiar with the online world, um, how have you been able to navigate streaming and, and maybe social media in a way that serves you rather than hinders you? Yeah, I think for me, it's, it's, it's again, it's kind of a, an organic kind of growth from where I was coming from. I have a different context to it than, than a lot of other people. So for me, again, coming from the message board era, we were all sharing, you know, Z share and you, you send it and rapid share links, you know, and no one was getting paid for those. And then SoulSeek was a huge thing for me, you know, a, a file sharing platform. If, you know, I think plenty of people listening won't even know what that is anymore. But, you know, it was kind of like the cooler Napster. Um, so, you know, I'm coming from that where like, it's all illegal. No one's getting paid. No one's even knowing how many, you know, you could have an album out that got downloaded a million times and not even know it. You know, you have no way of tabulating that. And I think all that came out even before iTunes. So once iTunes came out where you could buy it, but not stream it, even that was kind of a step forward in a way. And so then in the blog era, we, we would usually like um, the label or the artist would give me the first single to put out as a free download. And so we would post that as an MP3 with their permission. And then the hope would be if you, you know, if you like this single, you'll buy the album for $9.99 or buy the CD or whatever. And that kind of worked, kind of didn't, you know? I think it, it was better than, than nothing. But I think it was still pretty hard to, to live off of music at that point if you weren't touring a bunch or, you know, had other um, income streams. And so streaming to me was more of a solution than a problem. Like if, you, if you're a major label and you're used to selling CDs and vinyl um, or you're just even a more established indie, streaming might have come along and kind of created a problem for you. But for me and kind of where I was coming from, it was kind of a solution to, you know, cause the, the, the biggest thing about Napster and Kazam and all that, or Kazaa, all that kind of stuff was that, you know, it changed the world in that now all music is free. All music is accessible. Anyone could get anything. When I was a kid, I always had just a long list of running you know albums that i knew i needed to get because they were important or everyone you know told me like oh this is essential you need to know 
Marvin Gaye, what's going on? You need to know Prince, 1999. So I would just have this list in my head and then I'll go to the CD store and try to find them used or try to find them on sale, you know, cause I was only living off of allowance or, you know, my first little day jobs or whatever. You know, music was expensive. If you're trying to like, you know, I was trying to teach myself about the history of music. Like I, I put hundreds and, you know, thousands of dollars over the years in, into buying all that stuff. And I was down to, but the average person is not, you know, gonna invest that. So music was kind of a safeguarded, almost kind of gatekeeped thing, you know, because you needed to have money to access it. And so now that was no longer the case. Everything was free, which is great from a listener standpoint, but sucks for the artists because they're not getting paid. So now streaming music is still free, but the artists get paid. Maybe, you know, obviously I would love it if they got paid more, but they're getting paid something. And if you use it right, it, it really can add up. And, you know, I'm personally living off it. So there's proof that like it is a livable wage if you, if you use it right and you, you know, and it, and it works out that way. Using I appreciate streaming for that. It's definitely not a perfect system. And I do think, you know, the the better we can make payout rates, the, the better it'll benefit everyone, I think, uh, in the long run. But I'm definitely not, you know, anti-streaming either. One thing is when it comes to actually buying music that I appreciate about Fresh Legs is that you guys work to keep the art of the maxi single alive. How and or why has that been something you always kind of want to stick to when it comes to putting out singles or just releases in general? It's a few things, like, cause I'm still a, a buyer and a, a listener and a fan of music first and foremost. So I put stuff out in the format that I wish other people would, you know? Um, and I've just always been a bit of a, a maximalist <laughs> when it comes to, like even when, even in the blog days, I would put out, you know, like I said, the, the label of the artist would give me the first single, like, yeah, put, put this song out as the free download. And I would always include like a bonus track of like a song that they had put out a few months ago that was also a free download, but maybe you missed it, you know? So I would always just try to add something extra to it, um, especially, you know, if I was just kind of covering a news item that wasn't an exclusive to my site, be like, okay, every, all these, you know, okay player and these other sites are gonna be posting it too, but mine is gonna have this bonus track that I know is fair game to post that, you know, these other sites won't, or I'll try to add something in the post or, you know, tell a story in, in the write-up. So it was always just kind of um, something I wanted to do and something that I enjoy. I just, you know, I love hearing the instrumental of a song, the, the demo of a song. If, if you know if there's some interesting difference in it I, I treat every single or every release like this could be the first time someone is uh finding out about this artist so let's not make it hard for them to discover what the, what the last song was that came out you know they don't have to go back to their page and find it it's right there in track two and like when you listen on Spotify, when the song you're listening to is over, it's gonna play something after. And the algorithm is just gonna make it some kind of 
a guess of what it is a related artist so it's like if it's gonna play something let it i'll tell it what i wanted to play play their last song <laughs> that they so a lot of it just came from that just kind of semantics and, and and what made sense and just making it easy for people to um really discover the artist and not just this one song you know because these days i think a lot of people will gravitate towards a song and love it and never bother to hear another song <laughs> by that artist you know they have favorite artists which are oftentimes based off of kind of branding or image or social media all these other things and then but as far as like actual listening they really just like collect songs to put on their personal playlist and they might never hear an album might never hear uh any other song by that artist but but if you ask them they'll be like, oh yeah i love that artist but they can't name you know two songs comes to working with artists and sometimes um, they're more established sometimes they're it could be you know the first label when, when it comes to you know you work with artists you put the project out um, to me what I, I what I, what I assume about fresh select is that I don't see that you guys are afraid of artists either moving on to another label or moving on to, you know, a, a solo career if they want to. How can something like that be a ben as beneficial to you as it is to the artists that you're working with? Yeah, that was something I figured out early on. And some of that was something that I learned firsthand, not from Wajid, but just from watching Wajid um, and, and how things went. Cause he was always, he, Wajid is just so amazing at finding artists early on. You know, that was one of my favorite things about the first, you know, Platinum Pod Pipers album is that, you know, it had Sa-Ra, it had Tiambe Lockhart, it had Georgia Ann Muldrow, all these great people that, you know, early before they would all go on to individually become some of my favorite artists. And so, but I saw how hard it was to keep those creative types and those personalities working together in a group or trying to make it anything more than just how a relationship would naturally happen. So I, I just kind of always knew that like, yeah, you can't really force people to be in a group or in a crew or whatever, like th these type of the type of music I'm drawn from is gonna is made by people with real particular personality types, you know, um, and I'm one of those particular personality types too. So I, I get it. So I always treated Fresh Selects like a catalog more than a roster, you know. So I always tell people I don't necessarily sign artists; I sign projects. And sometimes we'll sign an artist for multiple projects, but 
that artist is still, they don't need to rep Fresh Selects any more than they want to. We're not gonna put our label logo on their album covers or, you know, anytime they play a show, it's gotta put, you know, it has to have our stuff on it. Like, that's just, if they want to, they can, but, you know, if, if they, you know, like Low Leaf is a super individual artist, I, I don't think she really wants to be a part of a crew or anything like that. And so, you know, she wasn't. But the work that we did together, you know, we always have that and that stays together. And she has since gone on and done, you know, amazing things and put stuff out on her own. And so, yeah, I always try to keep that door open and, and I never want to force someone to working with me or, you know, I don't want someone to, uh, I don't want to work with someone that doesn't want to work with me, you know? So the the deals are, are structured that way. And they're, you know, they're based on a, on a project basis. And also I've learned, I mean, some of the, biggest kind of uh, jumps in growth for us have been when an artist that we put out ends up go getting on a, a bigger label after us and you know the biggest example of that is probably Sir where we put out his first album Seven Sundays in 2015 and at the time he'd maybe put out like a like a free download mixtape before that but that was about it and our release did really well and you know for our scale of things and then it caught the attention of Dave Free who, who was at TDE at the time and he reached out to me personally and um you know flew me out to LA and me and Sir met up with him and ultimately long story short Sir ends up signing to TDE for you know his next album and has since gone on to now he's on TDE and RCA so he's even on a bigger scale and he's been killing it and our album together still does great to this day because every day new people are finding out about Sir and not all of them but a certain amount of them are going to go back and you know hear his earlier stuff so that's you know one of our strongest releases in our catalog and it's already five years old and you know still has no signs of of slowing down and even you know our very first release was mind design pretty shortly after we put that out he signed to stone's throw and put out you know his biggest album to date um at the time with them and that you know did great for our release together too so i've, I've always I've, i learned very early on that uh it's a benefit if it's done right you know Kenny, last question, just wrapping things up, whether it's music, physical releases, streaming, art, you name it, Fresh Lex is usually ahead of the curve. If you're not, you're not far behind. What areas could you see yourself expanding upon or you want to expand upon in the new year? Honestly, my goal, my focus right now is just getting out more music. Last year, I think we put out the most music we have in a single year to date, and that was largely... I kind of took some time off 
uh, the second half of 2019, and uh, at least from like putting things out. So projects kind of stacked up a bit, and and even in 2019, I had a few projects that were had just kind of been, you know in the queue waiting to, to be finished. So a, a lot of our releases last year, I don't think any of them were less than like three years old. So all our releases for this year are all pretty new. Most of them are stuff that, you know, we started last year and we'll be finishing up this year. I don't have any lofty goals of like, yeah, this year we're gonna go into VR and we're gonna have a cryptocurrency and we're gonna be the first blockchain label. Like I'm, I'm still pretty, you know, step by step. Like, I, I just only worry about putting out the best music we can, the best way we can and, and everything. And, you know, let the opportunities that those things present come to us. And that's really what has happened, you know? Last year, kind of the big thing for us was we, we, we were able to get a good amount of songs on some really dope TV shows that I was already a fan of and was, you know, happy to be on. So you know sync um has become like a another kind of main priority for us and so with that we're putting out even more original music and less sample based stuff because you know those are things that can be licensed but yeah i'm just really excited about all the new music we have a lot of new artists we've got a few releases coming up from some more established artists who we haven't worked with yet I'm trying to do more vinyl last, you know, it's been a minute since we did any vinyl last year. We were able to get, you know, two of our older releases, Emma V and Braxton Cook on vinyl for the first time. And we did a reissue of Sir, which sold out crazy fast. So I might need to do another <laughs> edition of that. But, you know, it's a great problem to have. So, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to, you know, do the basics of being a label. I think so many labels these days try to focus on everything else but the music. Like I know so many people who've told me they're starting a record label and the very first thing they do is make stickers or make t-shirts, but they haven't put out a release yet. I'm like, record labels put out records. Like have you, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta put the music out first to be a label, you know? And to this day, we've never made a Fresh Select sticker. We've never made a Fresh Select t-shirt. Maybe we'll start to now that it's, you know, seven years deep we might be a bit overdue but um but that's that's always stuff that like i'll get to if i have time left over from putting out all this music but the music is really like first and foremost to everything couldn't said bear myself kenny fresh thank you so much man it was a good time <laughs> I, I, um, I hope i didn't talk too much you could fit it all into you know one show if not we could, we could make a, a two-parter all right, man, but yeah, hit me up anytime. I'm always down. Eight eight point three WXOU. FM, Auburn Hills, Michigan. You just heard my interview with Kenny Fresh of the Fresh Selects label. If you like what you heard tonight, you can keep up with Fresh Selects by visiting freshselects.net for all their social media and latest releases. I want to thank Kenny again for his time and insight 
and definitely look forward to having you on again in the future. Visit FridayNightGroove.com for a recording of this episode, as well as a track list of everything I played tonight. Peace, thank you, enjoy as we wrap up this episode with another new single from Figmore titled Practice. I'll catch you next Friday, and until then, keep grooving.